But we're, we're still back in, in Philippians, and we're in chapter 3. And, um, and honestly, it's, it's not like the main topic for today, but it, self-righteousness and true righteousness it just flows through just about everything that Paul writes about. And, um, and I want to ask you a question to start off with, just a, just a basic question. Uh, and I'm really not asking for, um, for anybody to answer it because I know how you would all answer. Um, but do you ever consider the Christian walk that you're walking to be difficult? Do you ever sometimes feel like you're just, you're walking uphill? Do you ever feel that way? Sometimes you may feel like you're doing okay, everything's fine, you're going to church and all, you're trying to flee from sin, you're trying to live holy, and then all of a sudden your flesh pops up. And just something happens and all of a sudden you feel like, man, I'm not even close. I just, I'm, I'm not, I, I thought I was doing well, but I'm not even there. And, um, and, and, and when stuff like that happens, you can get weary, you can get tired, you can get frustrated. Um, it's a normal reaction to those kind of things. And the reason I didn't ask anybody to raise their hands for these questions is because every single one of us has been there. We've all been in that spot. And I have felt that way many, many times in my Christian walk. I felt that way this week in my Christian walk. Um, just as a just to let you know, I'm, I'm no different than anybody in this room. I handled a situation so poorly this week that I had to go to people I really respect and I had to apologize for the way I had handled a situation because I was wrong. I, in fact, that's my apology was I was dead wrong um, in the way I handled something. And, and don't you just wish sometimes God would just fix us? Like just turn the switch somewhere to make it all fit into place. That would be so nice if it could happen that way. And, and you'll look around sometimes and you'll see other people and they seem like they have it all together and you're, I just wish I could be like them. You know, they seem like they're, they're never struggling and, and, and all that kind of stuff. I wish I could, you know, they, they're, they've got the puzzle put together. I'm still looking for the corners. Is, it, is that how y'all build puzzles too? Find the four corners first and then, yeah, that's how I do it. Um, and they've got the puzzle put together. I want to today put your mind to ease on at least one point. I want you to understand that no one has it all together, including the Apostle Paul, and we're going to see that today. He really, he really um, kind of opens up in the, the passage that we're going to be talking and, and focusing on today. He really opens up and talks about that. We're in Philippians 3. Um, remember last week we talked about how Paul is this, you know, he, he said, follow me or imitate me as I imitate Christ. And, and he is a wonderful example to model ourselves after. And I believe that it is also realistic to think that we can model ourselves after Paul. Remember last week, you don't have to be St. Paul. Be Paul, just baby steps. We're, we're, we're moving towards what Christ has called us to be. And, and so many of us will put Paul up on this pedestal and we'll think that it's some unreachable thing and so we'll give up. Like, there's no way I can be like Paul, so I ain't even trying. And that's a, that's a self-defeating mentality. You're, you're, you, you've kind of gone ahead and just forfeited the race before you even started the race, if that's your attitude. But what I want you to understand is Paul never put himself on a pedestal. He never put himself on a pedestal. He was very open with his imperfections. He talks about them many, many times. And in this passage, we're going to look at a Paul who is a very ordinary human being. He's approachable. He's somebody that we can emulate, that we can be like. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that he, he was some rank sinner at this point. He was mature in Christ. 
no doubt. I'm not trying to, to pull him down and, and put him, you know, uh, the new convert who just walked in the door or, or the sinner who hasn't even repented yet. I'm not, not at all. I'm not trying to do that. I'm not trying to say that. He was mature in Christ. But what he's very open and upfront about in this passage is that he still had a long way to go. Anybody in this room ready to admit you got a long way to go? I'm ready to admit I got a long way to go. And he told us in uh, verse, uh, verse 7 last week, he said, um, you know, all the things that I had, every, all the stuff that I did for both in my, in my pre-Christian faith as well as in my post-Christian faith, all of it was lost because I'm giving it all up for the sake of Jesus Christ. It was lost because it was in view of that surpassing value in knowing Jesus Christ as his Lord. Paul valued and placed all of his hope in only one thing. He wanted that righteousness that comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ. On the basis of faith alone is how that righteousness could be imputed. And it would restore him to a right relationship with God. Only the righteousness of faith allowed him to have that personal relationship we talked about at the end of last week, that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And his greatest desire was to know Jesus Christ to the greatest extent that it was humanly possible. That's what he wanted. He wanted to press forward till he knew Jesus in the most intimate way a human could possibly know God. That's what he wanted. We should all feel that exact same way. He wanted to see the power of the resurrection changing him from the inside out on a daily basis. Every day he was resurrected. He crucified the flesh and the spirit man was resurrected to Jesus Christ. And that's what he wanted to be a vessel that Jesus could live through. This is what he's talking about when he, in that wonderful scripture, one of my favorite scriptures, Galatians 2 and 20. I have been crucified with Christ, yet I live. Nevertheless, not I who lives, but Christ who lives within me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. He was telling us in that scripture, I have been crucified with Christ. I died, to, this flesh died, and a new man has been arisen. Paul had suffered much for the cause of Christ. He tells us about it in 2 Corinthians 12 and 10. He said, therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How many of you want that? So if you've had a struggle this week, that's a good thing. Because when you are weak, then you are strong. And Paul talks about here... Despite all that he's gone through, despite all the things that he's dealt with, despite all of the stuff that he's had to wrestle with, he wants to press on. And he addresses something that I, I personally have struggled with, maybe you have struggled with, but he addresses perfectionism. I wanted to be perfect. I wanted you to think I was perfect, right? It's more that than actually be perfect. But I wanted you to think I was perfect. And even though there's no denomination, I've never heard somebody actually preach perfectionism. I've never heard that doctrine explicitly. There are many, many Christians out there who try to live up to that standard. They subconsciously try to keep it, and they consciously expect it of others. Have you ever expected somebody else, maybe more than they're really capable of, you, expect, you held them to a standard? Paul clearly says this is wrong. The basic idea is that at some point in your Christian life, perfectionism is the basic idea that at some point in your Christian life, you reach a stage of maturity in which you no longer sin. You just reach some lofty plane up there. Just, you know, you're just up there talking to the angels every day and you and Jesus walking and talking in the cool of the day. 
when, whether you say this comes through your, your own self-effort or it's some blessing by the Spirit, it doesn't really matter. Either way, you've got to do some theological gymnastics to get to that point because you can't maintain that position in the face of how you act every day. The, you can't help but get angry every once in a while, can you? It just happens sometimes. But we're real good at denial, aren't we? As humans... We love denial. We can do denial really well. We can, we can ignore our continued failures, and we can, we can live in denial. But driving down the expressway keeps me humble. There is never a day that I have to drive on the highways where I think I got it made. Me and Jesus, we're, we're together. We're, we got it made. Anytime I drive down the expressway, I realize how imperfect a human being I am. But a person who misses that mark of God's perfect standard for holiness might just, just uh, explain it away as just a mistake. But it's still sin. When I lose my temper on the highway, if I think something bad about somebody, I committed a sin. Let's, let's not call it a mistake. Let's not call it a, a little, um, or, or in another category, let's not call them white lies. Lies are lies. I committed a sin. It doesn't matter. I missed God's mark. No matter what I think about it or how I would judge it, I missed God's mark. And Paul states twice in verse 12 that he still had room to improve. And in doing so, he destroys anyone else's claim to being perfect. If Paul wasn't, then you're not. And if Paul knew he wasn't, then you better not worry about it either. The Apostle John was even more blunt, in, and he said in 1 John 1 and 8 and then uh, verses, uh, and verse 10, through verse 10, he said, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. All claims that you can eradicate sin in this life are false. You cannot be perfect down here. And if you think you can be, you are self-deceived. Paul states in verse 12, not that I had already obtained it, and I'm going to focus on that word it in just a second, or have already become perfect, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that which was laid hold of by Jesus Christ. What is the it that Paul had not already obtained or received? I don't think he's talking about salvation here because he was confident about his salvation. He's, we, we, he's been pretty clear about it. He's, you know, to, if I die, it's gain. So he knew salvation was not the issue. He had obtained salvation. He was fully confident in that. What he's talking about is there is still a greater personal knowledge of Jesus Christ available to me. I can still know Jesus more. There was still more of the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering that Paul could get to know. Paul was not yet fully conformed to the death of Jesus. And though Paul's position was that he was crucified with Christ and no longer lived, but that Christ lived within him, we know from Romans 7 that Paul still had a struggle in his flesh and that his flesh desired to sin. Paul adds in the next phrase that he had not already become perfect. The word perfect here means bring to an end, complete, perfect, or make mature. As Paul expresses at the end of this verse, there was still more for him to lay hold of in becoming like Jesus. That directly addresses the struggle that every single one of us in this room has today. All of us in this room have this exact struggle. By the way, if you say that you are a Christian and you think you are complete and perfect in what God has for you, you may want to keep listening because he's not done with you yet. 
every honest Christian should be able to say, I am not where I want to be. I am not where I want to be or where he wants to take me. I'm not there yet. We have to know as Christians, we have to know that there is still something out there. There's still something missing because there is still a promise that is not yet fulfilled. There's still blessings that he's going to pour out for us. There's still knowledge and wisdom that he's going to give us. All those things are still out there. And we get frustrated by our own sinful desires. We get frustrated by our own actions. We get frustrated by our own attitudes. And as much as we would like it to be different and easier, God did not design it that way. He did not design it so that you walk up to the front, you, you, um, you have a, this incredible salvation experience, you get baptized, you write your name in the church rolls, and all, now it's easy. He, he didn't design it that way. That's not what he wanted. Paul gives us a much more detailed description of his own struggle in Romans 7, 14 through 25. He said he would find himself not doing what he would like to do, but instead he would find himself doing the thing he hated. He, was, he said that he wished to do good, but he found himself practicing the very evil he did not wish to practice in verse 19. He had to come to grips that there was still the principle of sin at operation in his life. It was dwelling in his flesh and it waged war against the spirit man. Am I describing anything that y'all have experienced this week? Anybody else in the room had this experience this week? Because we have to face the exact same fact. There is still within us the law of sin, and we must fight it. Does this mean that Paul was doomed? No. Does this mean you are doomed? No, not at all. Paul had already explained in Romans 6 that though the bondage of sin was broken when you become a Christian, this simply means that you now have a choice. Listen very carefully to what I'm about to say because I have never heard this preached, and I wish it was my original thing, but I read it. And when I read it, I was like, that makes a ton of sense, and I want to give it to you. Prior to your salvation, sin was your master. Sin controlled you. You had no choice but to sin before you were saved. You were a slave to sin. Your nature was sinful. After salvation, God becomes your master. But, y'all know you love when I say that word, but he is a gentleman. And he doesn't make any of us do anything. But you now have a choice. Before you had no choice. But after salvation, you now have a choice. Will you obey God? Or will you continue in your old habits and sin? Even though sin no longer now has authority over you, you can still sin if you want to. You can still commit sin. God's a gentleman. He's going to let you. And God has placed you now in a victorious position with regards to sin. But you still have to exercise your free will that he has given everyone in this room to choose the good. We got to choose to stop sinning. We all have to choose that. And we have to continue each day to choose to stop sinning. You don't get to do it one day and done. You have to choose it every day. That's dying every day. That's the resurrection being active in your life every single day. Why would we choose to obey God? Why would we choose to follow God? Paul explains it so helpfully in verse 12. Paul knew that he had not reached perfection, and he knew that he would not reach it in this life. Nevertheless, Paul strives to obtain all that he can in Christ. 
He continues by saying, I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which I was also laid hold of by Jesus Christ. That phrase translated lay hold is simply a very strong, very intense version of the same word obtain. This is like obtain, but grasping at it, holding on tightly to it. This is uh, the same word that was used at the beginning of the verse. This is the same word, just a stronger version of it. Paul wanted to gain the very thing for which Jesus Christ had made him his own. What is that thing? What is that thing? Verse 14 calls it the high calling that is in Christ Jesus. It is to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's being humble. It's having that same mind which was in Christ Jesus. It is to be transformed by the renewing of your mind and to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul was holding on for. Those are the things he wanted. And this is not something that happens easily. The word translated or press on, uh, the word press on is translated in the same word in verse 6. And it's used to describe the same zeal that Paul had when he persecuted the church. He persecuted, the, he went after the church hard. And so now what he's saying is, I'm going to go after Jesus Christ the same way. It's an intense striving. It's an, intent, an intense pursuit of the goal. The general analogy being used in this passage is that of a runner running a race. We've heard that analogy from Paul many times. Paul was set up to put forth his maximum effort to reach the goal. We're all called to do the exact same thing. The Christian life is not meant to be lived passively. You can't live it passively. I don't sit still and do nothing and expect circumstances to keep me from sin. It won't happen. It will not happen. You can come to church on Sunday, but if you don't do anything on Monday, Tuesday, and then you come back to church on Wednesday, and then don't do anything on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, come back to church on Sunday, you will find yourself a frustrated Christian. We have to keep flee from sin every single day. I can't just sit around and do nothing and expect to be saved from sin. Inertia will not take you to holiness. It won't. I wish it would. Because we get a nice push on Sunday. I mean, if, if inertia did the job, we'd come on Sunday, get a nice push, push us right into Wednesday. Come on Wednesday night, get a nice push. You know, you, we might get to struggling on Saturday night, but man, there's still enough left to coast into Sunday morning. It does not work that way. We examined this same subject a few months ago when we were studying uh, verse, uh, chapter 2, 12 and 13. We are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in us both to do his will and his good pleasure. There are some people who teach that the way to a holy life is to let go and let God. I've heard that phrase a lot. Uh, in, in some senses, and I'm going to tell you a couple, I think it makes sense. In the sense of letting go of our own self-righteousness and letting God save us by his grace, it's a great idea. Let go and let God. It's also true that we have to let go of our own wisdom and our own knowledge. And we have to let God direct, direct us as Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. That is a great place to let go and let God. Because if I try to do it with my mental power, I'm messed up. I won't make it. However, it is not true that we are to let go of our own efforts to obey God. We are not to let go of our own efforts to pursue holiness. We are not to just let God change us through some miraculous divine intervention, even though he can if he wants to, if that's how he wants to do it. But personal holiness is something that we all must actively do. 
It is not something we can just passively sit back and think about. It took a long time for me to learn this. A long time for me to learn this. Very long time for me to learn this. Consider these various statements from Paul. If you think it's passive, I want you to listen to these statements from Paul about our Christian life. These are some things he said concerning sin. And you tell me if you think these statements are passive or active. Flee immorality. 1 Corinthians 6 and 18. Flee from idolatry. 1 Corinthians 10 and 14. Flee youthful lust. 2 Timothy 2 and 22. Mortify. Put to death is what mortify means. Put to death the members of your earthly body. Colossians 3 and 5. He even says at one point, you, do, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, Hebrews 12 and 4. You haven't fought so hard you've shed blood yet. Concerning living for Christ, okay, those, were, those are some things he said about sin. Now here's some things he says about our living for Jesus Christ. You tell me whether you think these things are active or passive. Paul says, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace in 2 Timothy 2 and 22. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The one I just quoted, Philippians 2, uh, Philippians 2 and 12. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 27, do you not know those that run a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. And everyone who competes in, this, in, the, same exercise, in the game exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I buffet my body and I make it my slave, lest possibly after I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. His advice to Timothy, tell me if this is active or passive, but flee from the sins, but flee from these things. And he's referring to sin. It's what he just referred to in the the, uh, verse right before. You man of God and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness, gentleness. Fight the good fight. Regarding his own life as he prepared to depart from the world in 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Do you hear any passiveness in any of those scriptures? Sounds fairly active to me. He's calling us to do something more than just sit still. I'm telling you, you are not going to reach perfection in this life. And if you are doing the Christian walk the right way, you will always be aware of your own struggle against sin. You will know in the back of your mind, I handled that wrong. I said the wrong thing. I, I hurt somebody's feelings. I hurt somebody's, uh, th- their walk with God. I, I, did, I, I hurt somebody or I did something against God. I sinned against God. If, you're, if we're good Christians, we're always, our consciousness is always going to be bringing to mind those things. Believe it or not, that's a good thing. That's the best thing you've got. That is the spirit nudging you toward holiness. When you feel that, I didn't live up today. Don't let that be a reason, oh, I'm not going to church. Because that's what I did. I did that for a long time. I would feel those bad feelings and think, well, I'm just not good enough for God. No, no, that's the spirit trying to say, Chris, do it better this way. Do it this way instead. God uses our weaknesses to motivate us. We think of them as horrible, bad things, but he's trying to create someone in the image of Jesus Christ. If I I get saved and think I am okay, Chris, you are fine and dandy, that is me worshiping myself. 
I need his spirit to be, nope, you're not there yet. Come on, come on. You, like I told you, I handled a situation so poorly this week, but I learned something. I apologize because I am a Christian. I've got to do that. I learned a lesson this week at 49 years old. I learned a lesson this week. God uses our weakness to motivate us. And as we press on, we become more and more and more mature in Jesus Christ. We will then come to know Jesus better. We'll become more like him and we will be more useful for his kingdom. I've said this before, but my battles now should be different than my battles were seven years ago, but I still should have battles. Seven years ago, the battle was just don't drink today, Chris. Just don't open some, some vodka and have a drink today. That was the battle. I won that battle. Thank the Lord. It's a good thing, right? But my flesh didn't give up the fight. Flesh said, okay, you know what? We'll get you with anger. We'll put you on the expressway and we'll see how you respond, Chris. I got you. Are you pressing on? Are you pressing on? Are you pressing towards the mark of the high calling, which is in Christ Jesus? I'm changing, sub, I'm changing uh, gears real rapidly, but follow me. I used marriage last week as an example, and it's a good analogy of this. At some point, every one of you in this room that's been married, you met your sweetheart, and you started to get to know each other, and you, you, you fell in love, and you thought, man, she's the prettiest thing I've ever seen. And eventually you decide you want to spend your life with this person. I love her. I'm going to stay with her forever. And then you decide to get married. I want to ask you a question. At what point did you know her or him? Was it after one year, five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, 70 years? You're still getting to know him, aren't you? You're still getting to know that person. Every day that you're married, you learn something new about them. You find out something new. And the longer you're together, the better you do know each other. But you'll always keep learning more about them. I discovered just recently that my wife likes it when I do the dishes. I am as shocked as you are to find out. No, I, I, I do the dishes. I cook too. There will always be room for me to be a better husband. I can never stop becoming a better husband to my wife. Never. And it's the same way with our relationship with Jesus Christ. The longer I walk and talk with him, the longer I'm with him, the more I know what he does want me to do and doesn't want me to do. The more I know this pleases him and this displeases him. The more I walk with him, the better my relationship with him gets. And no matter how mature you ever get as a Christian, Leland Briggs, well, he was 83 when he passed, right? Was he 83? 86. He was 86 when he passed. He was not there yet. Now, when he took the last breath, he got there, but he wasn't there. There was still more he could have learned about Jesus Christ. He could have become a better follower if he'd been given 10 more years, right? We all can, every one of us in this room. 
Paul tells us the way he gets there is through single-mindedness. And in verse 13, he makes it very clear that he has not yet become completely like Christ. But he also tells us of the mindset that is necessary in order for us to press on towards the mark. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. He addresses the Philippians as brethren. That's a strong word. They're they're co-laborers together. It's the same word he used in in, in chapter 1, verse 12, and in chapter 3, verse 1. It's a term of familiarity. He loves these people. We've talked about this before. He sees them them as as his flock, and he's their pastor. He loves them. And so he uses this strong term of familiarity, and he's preaching to them because he loves them. He's giving this information. They still had room to grow as Christians in becoming like Jesus, and Paul did too. And his advice here is very straightforward. You cannot reach your goal if you're distracted by everything else. I talked last week and I demonstrated it. You can't have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. You cannot straddle the two. You just can't put one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. Hebrews 12 and 1 puts it this way. Lay aside every weight and sin which doth so easily beset us and let us run the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus who is the author and the finisher of our faith. The problem is not just sin which can entangle us and cause us to fall, but it's sometimes the good things. You can have too much of a good thing. They just may not be appropriate for what God's trying to accomplish in my life. They may actually hinder us in reaching our goal. You see, when an athlete runs a race, he wears tennis shoes. Actually, nowadays, they're even fancier than that. They, they don't even wear tennis shoes. They're some lightweight, you know, you can spend 250 bucks on running shoes these days. He doesn't wear combat boots. What would you think if somebody walked up to the starting mark in combat boots? He's not wearing a parka. I mean, it's aerodynamic stuff. I mean, it's spandex everywhere. That's what they wear. Because you want to run fast. You don't want the wind to hold you back, so you're not going to wear a parka. You don't run a race carrying around a football helmet and your Amazon Christmas packages. Wouldn't make sense, would it? When the gun goes off on that race and the race begins, the runner's complete attention is fixed on where I'm trying to get to. It doesn't matter if I got to run around that track four times to do the 400, one time to do the 100, or if I got to do a bunch more for a mile or whatever it is. Your goal is where you're trying to get to, and that's all that matters is that finishing line. That's the way we're supposed to live our Christian life. You must not only put away sin, but you must beware of even the good things that might hinder your race. I found things in my life that I just had to set aside. I've said it before, I love LSU football. I absolutely love it. I spent, I I didn't miss a game for about 15 years. But when the more I, the more I started devoting my life to to Jesus, I was like, it's not that it's a bad thing. I never drink at games. I drink after the game, but I never drink at the games. But that wasn't the problem. It was, it was taking away time on a Saturday if I needed to prepare a message. I can't do that anymore. It was not a bad thing, but I had to lay it aside. And I loved it. And it wasn't evil. But I had to lay it aside. The Christian's focus is to be upon Jesus Christ. Nothing else. Not what lies behind, not what lies in front of us, but only on Jesus. And speaking of that, 
Don't look at the other runners. Stop looking at everybody else. They are running in their own race. And their finish line is not your finish line. You just have to run your race. And in the specific context here, Paul is saying, I'm forgetting all those things which lie behind. And that goes back directly to verses 4 through 8. His heritage, all the works that he did, the Hebrew of Hebrews, the, the, the Jew of the Jews, he circumcised the eighth day, all the stuff he got right. He's saying, I forget about all that stuff. He counted it as loss and rubbish in view of gaining Jesus Christ and knowing him. Paul had had victories and defeats. He, he, he clearly was someone who had experienced both. There were many who had opposed Paul. They had opposed the gospel message. Paul had suffered because of it. There were places that he had gone to preach where people had rejected him. They had rejected the gospel. There were other places where they wouldn't even listen to the message. Those things had happened to Paul. But there were also many victories. As he became more and more mature in Jesus Christ, he saw churches planted all over Asia Minor and Greece. He, he says that he's forgetting all of that, the good and the bad. I'm forgetting all of it. We must always remember that we are to live in the present with an eye for the future, but don't live in the past. Those that live in the past are in two dangers. There's two problems. You can become complacent and lazy, or you can become careless. If you look at the negative things of the past, you can easily conclude that it ain't worth it. Man, I blew it so bad, I can't keep going. I, nothing, nothing I do is going to be worth it. If you look at only the positive things of the past, you're going to rest on your laurels. You're going to say, I got it made. You're going to become complacent, and you're going to stop pressing on. In either case, what happens is you stop looking at your goal. Sin comes in because we're no longer pressing forward. That's what happens. Consider how strongly the Lord reacts to apathy, lukewarmness. The message to the church at Laodicea in Revelation 3 is, man, you talk about a bad situation. Laodicea got some, some bad news. He said, I know your deeds that you are neither hot, cold or hot, and I would that you would be cold or hot. But because you're lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. God said, I'd rather you be cold than lukewarm. Cold than lukewarm. Be careful when you think about the past. It's good to review the past occasionally. Did I, did I, there, these things were battling. I was struggling with this. Did I change it? Am I better, in a better place now? But that's about the only consideration of the past that we should give. It's good to review some of that sometimes and, and make sure we, we have improved and those things that God has been, been moving on us to move. But we are to walk with Jesus. Nowhere does he ever tell us to stop. We're to walk with Jesus. Even when God gives us rest, it's so that we can then continue the journey. We're always to be in motion in verse 14, Paul emphasizes our motivation for running the race. He says, I press on toward the prize of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. As you forget what lies behind and you reach forward to what lies ahead, you keep your eyes focused on the goal. But what is the goal? I love asking questions like this. Paul says the goal is the calling, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. This prize is what motivated Paul to run the race. We can look back at 1 Corinthians 9, 14 through 27 earlier when he described the prize as an imperishable wreath. 
Think about that for an imperishable wreath. What he's talking about here is the Olympic Games. They gave the, the winners of the race, they gave them a, 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 like a laurel wreath on their heads, and it was made of olive branches. So it was made of something organic. I bet you none of those still exist. I bet you there's not a single uh, wreath from the Olympic Games that you could buy on eBay right now because it's made of organic stuff. It disintegrated. It, it dissolved. But what he's telling us is there is an imperishable wreath. There is something that you are worthy of honor that you will get because that olive branch wreath is going to dissipate. It's going to dissolve. It got, it got stomped in the mud somewhere. But the imperishable wreath is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's not made of anything that's going to pass away. It's the honors that will be received in heaven because of God's calling of us in Christ Jesus and how we served him. There's crowns that will be offered to the followers of Jesus. The crown of life will be given to those that love the Lord, James 1 and 12. The imperishable wreath is given to those who are faithful in following Christ, 1 Corinthians 9 and 14. The crown of exaltation will be given to those who bring others to Christ, so soul winners. There's a special crown for soul winners, 1 Thessalonians 2 and 19. The crown of righteousness is given to all those that love his appearing, 2 Timothy 4 and 8. And the crown of glory will be given to those who properly shepherd God people first Peter 5 and 4 all of these crowns require the individual to have a mind in them that is set on things above and not things on the earth what race are you running what race are you running today think about your walk with God for a second what race are you running don't discover too late that the race you were running was to see who could make the most money or who could have their kids excel at sports or education? What is your goal? Is it to retire at 50? Is it to pay off the house? What will be your prize? Is it a big house and a camp on the lake? Is it something down here? Is it something perishable? You guys know I'm not preaching against financial responsibility at all. I want you to have the best. I want your kids to be the best at everything they do. I want all that for you. I pray for all that. I, I want you to have fun in life. I want you to take vacations. I want, you to, I want all of you to retire early. I have a four-year-old, so I will not. <laughs> but I want y'all to. I want you to enjoy your kids and your grandkids. I love all of that stuff too, but Christian... What race are you running? Yeah. Christian, what is your goal? Yeah. Christian, what crowns do you want to win? Don't let the things of this earth, the things that moth and rust will destroy, don't let those things control and keep you away from what God has for you. I can assure you that you will grow and you will become even more confident in receiving your reward if you will do the following things. Listen, recognize the areas in which you need to grow. Is it your prayer life? Is it obedience? Is it submission? Is it trusting? Do you have a problem with any of those what, or something else? Whatever else it is, now put your maximum effort into that area. Whatever you're struggling with, put your maximum area in pressing on towards the high mark of the calling of Christ Jesus and become more like Jesus in that area. So whatever it is that's holding you back, press on to be more like Jesus in that area. Don't let yourself become distracted by sin. Don't let yourself become distracted by things that would hinder. Keep your goal in view. My goal is the prize of the high calling of Christ Jesus. In verse 15, Paul gives an encouragement here at the end of this section. 
He said, let us therefore as many as are perfect have this attitude. And if anything, if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that in you. The word perfect here is, is those who are positionally perfect in Christ. We're in salvation. They're believers who stand righteous before God. They've been clothed with righteousness. But it's an encouragement to all of us that, that have that same attitude or think the same way as Paul. And, and the comfort here is awesome because God cares more about you than you can comprehend. And he will reveal to you the areas that you need to work on. He will reveal to you all the little places where we need to fix and we need to work on and we need to get better to draw closer to him. Even if you have the wrong attitude, God will reveal the truth to you. Even if you have the wrong understanding, God will reveal the truth to you. That is such a comforting thing. Verse 16, Paul concludes the whole section with a simple statement. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. What he's saying right here is be consistent and don't backslide. That's, that's literally what he's saying. Don't waver. Don't waver. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. Don't look at other runners. Just run. Stay on track. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. God will always do his part to help us run the race. You don't have to worry for one second. He will always fulfill his part. What we need to do is we need to make sure we do our part in having that right attitude, make the right effort, and keeping the right focus. God knows what he's doing. He has no, there's no concern there. I don't have a doubt in my mind. But do you trust him enough to diligently follow him in obedience? And then through that obedience, let him conform you into the image of Christ. That's where we're going. That's where we're going. I have concluded, I think, the last four or five with this exact same idea. We are to be conformed to the image of Christ. And if I am pressing toward the, high, the mark of the high calling, which is in Christ Jesus, I am going to become like him. If I am pressing towards that, he is going to just, the Holy Spirit's just going to walk right beside me and say, Chris, fix this. Chris, you need to do this a little bit better. Chris, I'm so proud of you in this area. But here, come on, let me show you what to do. And I will become Christ-like, and you can too. Oh, yeah. We can all become Christ-like. So press, for the, press towards the mark of the high calling, which is in Christ Jesus this week. Look at those areas in your life where you know you're deficient, that I just don't pray enough, I just don't trust enough, I just, whatever it is, and I'm not putting anybody on a guilt trip. There's no one in this room that doesn't have something we can fix. I'm not, I'm not trying to, to point a finger at any single person. We all can do this together. But God, help me. Show me the, way, the path you want me to walk on. Show me the way I need to go, and I will walk it. Thank you for listening to me this morning. I invite you to stay for the 1115 service. I'm going to pray for us. If we could all stand, I'm going to pray for us and dismiss us. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for your goodness and your grace, God. Thank you for all that you have shown us. Thank you for the example of Paul, God. He wasn't perfect, God, but he called us to follow him as he followed you. And what he latched a hold of and the great thing he got a hold of was why he was running that race, God. Help us grasp why we are running this race and let us run that race, God, with faith in you, always with our eyes fixed on you, God, and knowing that the finish line is with our Savior, God. I pray for this group of people. Bless them this week. Watch over us and keep us and bring us back at a safe, appointed time. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.